Guess what, Lions? For as little as $5 a month, you can get access to exclusive bonus audio content and help this program grow by joining the Lions of Liberty Pride. To learn more, head over to lionsofliberty.com support. Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, it is time for another episode of Felony Friday right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Of course, those who are longtime listeners to this show know that each and every week I like to focus on exposing injustice in our nation's broken criminal justice system. And this is one of three shows that we have here on Lions of Liberty. We have a show every Monday hosted by Mark Clare. It's our longest running show. It's our flagship show where Mark hosts interviews with leaders in the liberty movement. He hosts roundtable discussions with people like myself and uh, Brian McWilliams, who is the host of Wednesday's show, which is Electric Liberty Land, which is a weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty. And guys, this is the 91st episode of Felony Friday. I got a lot of stuff that I'm going to talk about with you guys today. This is a solo show. There is no guest. It's just me. There is so much shit going on right now in the world today that I need to take some time out and weigh in on a couple of these topics. Just had to be done, guys. Had to be done. So there's going to be an abundance of uh, links and notes and all kinds of stuff to look at on the show notes page. You can find that at lionsofliberty.com slash FF91. And guys, my last couple episodes of Felony Friday... I have, actually more than that, a lot of my episodes I focused on the war on drugs, but especially like my last, um, not last week's episode, I did not focus on the war on drugs directly. We talked about the death penalty. That was with Shane Claiborne, an outstanding interview. But the couple before that, some really great interviews talking about the war on drugs and the impacts of it, some personal stories and people that overcame obstacles after facing ridiculous sentences for being convicted of nonviolent crimes. Uh, We had Ramona Brandt on the show. We had Jamel Nettles and talking about addiction and how most people have addiction wrong. I talked to Johan Hari, um, the author of the book Chasing the Scream. That was a fantastic interview. I've, I've listened to it myself like two or three times. I keep going back to it. You guys can find all these interviews and everything that I've done up until this point at my archive felonyfriday.com. So please, guys, check that out. If you don't want to go there, you can also go to iTunes, of course. You can go to Stitcher and you can go and you can look back in the feed of all the other Felony Friday episodes. Find a find a catchy, uh, catchy title there, uh, something that catches your interest and give it a listen. There's just so many great stories to be told. I want to encourage you to, uh, to go back and check those out. Now, today's episode, like I said, no guest, just me. For the entirety of today's episode, this episode is going to be 100% Is It a Crime? What that means, the entire episode, we're going to play America's fastest growing podcast game show, Is It a Crime? And Should Anybody Do Time? Is it a crime? Should they do time? 
does that mean? What does that mean when I say, you know, it's a game, it's a game show? What are we looking into? What are we trying to prove? You know, people have said nobody wins. There's no declared winner. There's no points. How can it be a game show? And I say, shut up, because I'm the host of the show, and it's a freaking game show. So, But the point of it, and there was a little confusion on this several weeks ago in the Lions of Liberty Forum. If you're not a member of the Lions of Liberty Forum, please go ahead and join. It's on Facebook, so you can go to Facebook and the search bar at the top, punch in Lions of Liberty Forum, and we will get you approved as long as you look like a normal person, you have some friends, So what we want to do with Is This a Crime is we want to get to the root of the issue. We want to take a look at it from a a principled point of view. Um, The the confusion that came out of the forum a few weeks ago had to do with someone asking, well, you know, are are they asking, should it be a crime looking at it? from a legal standpoint, as the laws that are on the books or or something like that. And no, we're not looking at it like that. I'm not asking, you know, if somebody gets arrested for trafficking cocaine, is it a crime on the books right now? So that it it is valid if they, you know, get arrested, get charged, and get convicted. Uh, That is the law. So obviously, everyone understands if you break a law and you get caught you're going to end up in jail, most likely. We're not asking if it's a law. This isn't if it's a law. This is, is it a crime? Did a crime take place? Really, everything in life can be broken down into two categories, rights and crimes. You're either not violating another person's uh, property. You're not uh, forcing yourself. You're not aggressing against them. You are you're living your life. These are these are rights. Crimes are where you are aggressing against other people, where you are stealing from them, where you are using coercion to manipulate them, where you are committing fraud uh, to further your your own self interest or to push someone else down. These these are crimes, and we want to get to the root of this. And one of the things that came up was to talk about uh, really local ordinances and things like that. Zoning violations, building codes, whatnot. And it actually, in a, in a libertarian group recently, uh, I saw somebody bring up that what, what's the libertarian stance on, say, you know, your neighbor builds a 15-high foot fence two feet from your property and they paint it pink and it's you know, all along your one, your one property line. In a libertarian society... Is is there any way to stop someone from doing that? Uh, aside from you know moving to ten acres of property, building a house in the middle of it, so you don't have any neighbors anywhere around. Is there a way to do that? And of course, there's also a way to live in a society, in a neighborhood, in a community where something like that can happen. Um, it all comes down to consent. It comes down to contracts and agreements that you have with the people in your neighborhood, in your community, in your locality, in your municipality, in your state, and, and, and out from there. So I think as libertarians, we need to look at this more from a consent standpoint, from a contractual standpoint. Um, it's nothing wrong with you uh, forming a contract with your, with your neighbors, with people in your community, saying there's things that you all agree that you don't want built um, in your community. And you can do that. You don't, I mean, I don't want a skyscraper being built on the on the lot next to mine, these things can be done with things like uh, HOAs and uh, things of that nature. The problem is when uh, people don't have consent, when things are 
are forced upon them. And when they sign into an agreement expecting one thing, and that agreement is changed without their consent, without them being able say yes or no. A lot of people talk about, well, what would happen if you know the, the property is, is aired down to their children and so on? Does the consent continue? And that stuff's all got to be written into the contract. And um, you know, I'm not an expert in contract law, but, but that stuff can, can all be worked out. So, I mean, the point there is with, with local politics, with things like zoning and ordinances and things like this, that stuff can be handled between individuals, between uh, coalitions, between groups. It doesn't need to be a state government. It doesn't need to be a, a school district weighing it up, although it, it, it can be. I mean, it's we could do an entire episode uh, talking about this topic. But that's not what I'm here to do today. Today, we're playing Is This a Crime? So I want to start talking about some of these situations. And actually, this first one has to do with local ordinances uh, coming into play, come to think of it. This is a little bit of an older story. It's been floating around for a while. And this isn't the first time that this issue has come up. And the story I'm talking about is the story of bikini baristas in the Pacific Northwest that they're having their their right to to serve coffee, uh, scantily clad with with, uh, bikinis on. They're having that infringed upon. Um, There's, you know, it's common in the Pacific Northwest. I don't know why it's common out there and not other places. I I have no idea. But there's there's several different uh, coffee stands that they pop up. They're called things like Twin Peaks, Peekabrew, Java Jigglers, things like that. And they're described as getting your your coffee with with a view. So when you pull up to the to window to get your coffee, you're greeted by a good-looking girl there in a bikini, and she serves you your coffee. And last month, the city of Everett, Washington, this is 25 miles north of the progressive bastion of uh, communism, Seattle, and they passed an ordinance that banned uh, bikinis at the town's drive-throughs. And the way they did this is one of these one of these ordinances prohibits quick service restaurants from exposing their midriffs, breasts, and top three inches of their legs. Just imagine um, there being a violation, the cops showing up, and some cop pulling out a a, a freaking tape measure and, uh, and trying to figure out how many inches are, are showing from the top of a uh, a woman's legs. That is just. A freaking ridiculous picture, but it's probably something that that will happen with with enforcement of this uh, ridiculous ordinance. You know, to weigh in on this, this is not a crime. And I I think to to break it down a little bit further, this this comes down to to property rights. And it's not like these women who are working in this bikini barista place are out, you know, running around on other people's property, uh, running around even, even in front of the store where other people where other property owners, where passers-by, where, where children um, could, could see them. They're inside a, uh, a small building where only uh, patrons, where patrons who want the coffee can come up. And, and everyone knows what these coffee stands are like. They're, I mean, it's, it's advertised on it. They're burki- bikini baristas. It, it, it tells you, I mean, the, the names, I think the names of the coffee houses pretty much give it away. So you're not going to pull up to them with a, a car full of children. Um, it's just not something you're going to do. I really don't see any issue with this. I don't see why this is a crime. I don't see why this can't be handled just the way business is handled. If you don't want to go there, if you don't want to see it, if you don't want to do business with a business that operates this way, then don't. 
Let the market handle it. It's not a big deal. This is part of the problem with really both sides of the aisle, people on the left and people on the right. And I talked about this uh, a little bit in last week's episode with, uh, with Shane Claiborne. And I was talking about people on the right. We were talking about the death penalty. Very different than getting your coffee served to you by half-naked women. But people on the right... Uh, with the death penalty and with the war on drugs, they want to use the force of government to get people to live a certain way. And people on the left do the exact same thing. They want to use the force of government to get people to live a certain way, to meet the needs that they want to meet, If be it if it's to pay for health care, if it's to pay for welfare, uh, all these things. Or you know, both sides, if it's to pay for foreign intervention in lands abroad and blow up bridges and buildings in faraway places and kill people. That they're uh, that they'll never see. So anyway, getting way off track here, but people need to look at really wake up and look at government differently. Everyone's fighting over control. The ballot box is a is a war of control, and that's and that's not the way it should be. Let's just let people live. I mean, let people operate businesses. Let people give people freedom, and that's that's really what we need to do. To, to move off of the Bikini Baristas, and I guess we're not going to move that far. We're going to talk about the NCAA scandal. And I say we're not moving that far because one of the players in this scandal, Rick Pitino, his, uh, his school, Louisville, is involved in this. And Rick Pitino has had his fair share of, uh, of scandals in, in involving women. He had a uh, affair in the early 2000s with a woman that was not his wife. And the woman tried to blackmail him. And he didn't allow it to happen. And this, this woman ended up, ended up going to jail. And then more recently in the past couple of years here, there was a scandal at Louisville where an assistant coach was using strippers and escorts in order to recruit basketball players, um, selling sex for, uh, you know, scholarships for basketball players to come in to get, in to, get to get an education. Cause that's what the NCAA is all about. Getting an education. No, it's not about getting an education. It's about, making money, making money for the school. So let's talk about this scandal. I mean, it's all over the place. It's developing by the day. I've just read an article at ESPN that I'll link to in the show notes that breaks this whole scandal down based on everything that is known today. And I hate to promote, I hate to promote ESPN, but sometimes they do do a decent job, at least when you know it's straightforward reporting and they can just go to a document and, and take stuff out of it. And that's what they've done. They've, they've released everything in here and reported everything in here that was in the Department of Justice's release on this investigation. And essentially what happened is they announced, uh, the FBI announced on Tuesday, that 10 people, including four college basketball assistant coaches, were arrested as part of a three-year-long investigation into bribes and other corruption in the sport. The assistant coaches were at Arizona, Auburn, Louisville, Miami, Oklahoma State, and USC. Those schools all implica- all implicated in the investigation, as well as Adidas implicated, uh, managers, directors, uh, salespeople at Adidas implicated in the investigation, as well as financial advisors, financial advisors to, to players implicated in this investigation. So the, there's a long, a long story here. And this all goes back to essentially what happened was a, a, a financial advisor out of Pittsburgh, Luis Martin Marty Blazer III, a Pittsburgh-based advisor 
And there's a lot to this story, but essentially what happened is this guy got caught. He was, you know, he had some NFL players, some high profile athletes that he was advising. And he was, uh, he was trying to invest in movies, believe it or not. And he'll, he'll try to get the people to invest in movies on their own and they didn't want to do it. So he'll take money from, from their account without them knowing. And I, I guess one of them found out. So he gave the money back, took it from another account. Anyway, he, he ends up getting indicted on that. And he was essentially running a Ponzi scheme there in order to, to fund these movies. And he ends up, uh, he ends up, the uh, SEC ends up ordering Blazer to make a restitution payment of $1.8 million and to pay a civil pen- penalty of 150000 And they barred him from uh, you know, practicing, uh, from being a financial advisor in the, in the industry in May of 2016, so more than, uh, more than a year ago. And also part of that plea agreement with the U.S. Attorney's Office he agreed to plead guilty to securities fraud, ag- aggravated identity theft, false statements and documents, and two counts of wire fraud. And he also agreed to be a cooperating witness. And Blazer, I mean, th- this wasn't even the first time uh, that he'd gotten in trouble. Um, there was a- another incident where a football player alleged that he lost $4 million of his uh, of his fund. And uh, eventually that got settled and Blazer had to pay... 850000 in May 2012. 2015, he was linked investigation and proper payments uh, to a University of North Carolina football player. So this guy, he's dirty. I mean, he's, he's, he's playing, in the, playing in the back alleys of society, making money any way, any way he can. He gets caught. And when somebody gets caught, the government, more often than not, they're going to use them. They're going to use, hold, hold over them in order to, to spread the net, to get other people. So that's exactly what they did, and they used uh, Blazer's contacts. Blazer uh, came in contact with a former NBA and college referee by the name of Rashawn Michael, I, I believe his last name is. Mitchell, maybe? Anyway, so these two start concocting up schemes. And remember, at this time, Blazer is, is you know, he's talking to the U.S. Attorney's Office, and this Rashawn Michael is... He's talking about all the deals that he can make with NCAA players. Um, he, he was made at the time, you know, in the past several years, this, this guy, he went from being a referee to being a, a to owning a, a clothing line, a clothing store. And he was making some of the suits for the top players, top NFL players, NBA players, we, all contacts all over the place. So he got tied in and he got access. This uh, former referee turned clothing entrepreneur Got tied in with a, a bunch of different uh, NCAA coaches, one of them being Chuck Person at Auburn. And Chuck Person, the former Auburn great NBA player, made a lot of money in the NBA, but apparently needed money. So didn't manage his money well. So this uh, Rashawn Michael hooks him up with Blazer. At this point in time, they're they're talking about how they can use the financial advisor's funds to get players to commit to a certain school and whatnot and you know making payments to family members making payments to players to get them to commit with the promise that they'll go to the MBA and then this financial advisor after giving out these loans will get the money back tenfold so th- that was the, that was the crux of the deal and you know, you know later on they get involved with and, and where Louisville is involved with this they were getting their payments 
for incoming recruits, not from, they weren't coming from financial advisors. They were coming from Adidas. So there's a, in the high school basketball underworld, the shoe companies, Nike, Adidas, that they sponsor AAU teams. They sponsor all these different teams, all these different camps. And it's a big part of recruiting that, you know, Adidas and Nike also sponsor college basketball teams. So college basketball teams go after recruits that are under, you know, that are either at these Adidas camps or they play for the Adidas team or they play for the Nike team, depending on which shoe company they're signed up with. So it's 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 ridiculous. And the funny part is Rick Pitino talked about this a couple of years ago, how the shoe companies are controlling college basketball because that's where all the money is. And it's just this is just a ridiculous scenario. I mean, to ask, is this a crime? Did a crime occur here? Yes, yes, crimes did occur here. But everybody in their right mind knew that this type of stuff was going on. This reminds me, you know, as soon as I started reading about this and learning more, I was having flashbacks to the the steroid investigations, to when uh, when steroids broke in baseball, that everyone in baseball was taking steroids. All the home run hitters, Sammy Sosa, Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire, pitchers were taking steroids. Relief pitchers were taking steroids. Little tiny second baseman leadoff hitters were taking steroids. Leadoff hitters were hitting 50 home runs. And there was a long period of time where nobody questioned the amount of home runs being hit. Nobody questioned why it was happening. Everybody was just, baseball was making a comeback. They'd come out of having a a strike in the 90s, and it, it was back. Baseball was back, man, and it was better than ever. But guess what? It was steroids. And right or wrong, if you think professional athletes should be allowed to take steroids, that's not really the point. My point here is that people had their head in the sand. They were everybody. I mean, you had to know these, these guys were these guys were, were blowing up you know, muscles with taking uh, taking HGH. Their, their heads were were expanding. Everybody knew that these baseball players were taking performance enhancing supplements, but nobody cared. Because it was it was good for the game. And that's the exact same thing that's happening now. And it's been happening for as long as I can remember with the NCAA, with NCAA basketball, which this scandal has hit first. And it, I guarantee you the same stuff happens with NCAA football. I don't know if it happens with you know NCAA volleyball or NCAA baseball. Probably not. Those sports don't make a lot of money. It's probably only the major sports. But everybody knows that this goes on. Everybody knows recruits are getting paid to go to certain schools. They're getting funded through back channels, be it boosters, be it shoe companies, be it financial advisors. It's happening. And occasionally something will pop up. We had Reggie Bush several years ago that popped up. You know, There was a, a house that was bought and suits and whatnot. Every once in a while, one of those things will pop up and it's swept under the rug real quick. And this, how, how, how did that happen? How did that Reggie Bush get away with that? What, what's going on there? Oh, let's, yeah, okay, forget about that ever happened. But it's happening everywhere. I mean, let's, let's not be naive. This, this is the nature of college sports. And the reason it's the nature of college sports, because that is the way the market is designed. Players don't get paid. And players really, players, with, co- with help from coaches, they don't want to discount coaches. Of course, you know, coaches deserve a lot of the money that they're making, but the people who go out and play the sport, the people who put in the time, the people who are working to perfect their game, who are putting the labor in to get better, to win games, to bring money to these universities, 
are not paid. And people say, oh, they're, they're paid. They're, they're paid. They get a free education. Free education, um, what, what are they doing with that free education? How many kids are graduating? I don't have graduation rates in front of me right here, but I, I guarantee you they're, they're not good, um, especially at a lot, of these, uh, a lot of these power schools, a lot of these uh, big-time uh, basketball schools. Their, their graduation rates are not good. A lot of these kids, you know, the NCAA, NCAA basketball has a one-and-done deal. All they have to do is go to college for one year, then they go to the NBA, it has nothing to do with getting an education. All it has to do with is making money. So anyone, anybody with a brain knew that this was happening, and this should surprise nobody. This should be just a, oh, wow. They just, in fact, that was my first thought when I saw this. I said, hmm, I wonder why prosecutors decided to do this now. What's what? Why? Why is this coming out now? What's What's their other motivation? Because they could have done this anytime. This could have happened anytime. There's shady shit going on everywhere in college sports. The question people ask, should college players be paid? Yes, they should be paid. They should be paid their market value. And if you want to factor in the cost of an education into that market value, factor it in. Go ahead. I mean, factor it in. And I, I guarantee you at these... You know, Power Five schools, it's not going to be enough. It's not going to be their market value. Um, the schools are making tons of money. The schools are making money hand over fist. C- colleges are, are loaded, man. Tuition keeps going up, and they keep building buildings and expanding, and, and more people are going to college. And The whole freaking model is broken, and college sports is just a, an aspect of it. But man, man, it's it's just ridiculous. And... The reason this happens, it's just like when you have a black market. When you have the black market in uh, in drugs or, or anything like that, people find a way to work around the market. There is still supply and demand. And if these basketball players, if people see that there's either that these players are, there's a way that they can make some money for them that the players can make some money and there's a way that the people helping them make the money can get a cut of that, then they're going to do it. This obviously starting to go after this stuff will act as a little bit of a deterrent, but you know, the the same, if if they continue the same system, the same thing will continue to happen. And it's, it's not going to change. It's not going to change, man. And it's, it's, uh, it's just crazy. It's, uh, (laughs) you know, I think back to, I think back to my time in college, and I think to, you know, you're going to a game on a Saturday. I shouldn't even say my time in college. My time now, I'm going to a college football game this weekend, Penn State, Indiana. I'm excited for it. I'm excited for, it's an event, it's fun. You go up your tailgate, you go to the game, you see friends, drink some beers, eat some food. It's a good time. I love it. It's great. But you look around and you see everybody's wearing wearing a jersey. They're wearing college jerseys. They're wearing college gear. The players aren't making money off of that. Who's making money off of that? Adidas, Nike, Under Armour, the school, everybody but the players. And that's not fair and that's not right. It's just irrational to continue a system like this. And the reason the system continues is because people People who are making a lot of money continue to make a lot of money and they want to protect that revenue stream so they continue to make the money. They don't want to share it with the players, the ones who are responsible for making them the money. 
So I don't know. I've I've ranted for, for long enough on this. Hope hopefully that makes sense. We're gonna take a real quick commercial break here. I want you to hear about some other great libertarian podcasts. Hey guys, this is Roger Paxton, and if you're fed up with the government running every single aspect of your life, but you're not listening to the Lava Flow podcast yet, then what's wrong with you? Check us out at thelavaflow.com, or just go back to sucking up to the government. The Lava Flow podcast, striking the root every single episode. This is Chris Spangle, and I am the host of We Are Libertarians, which you can find in iTunes, Google Play, or at wearelibertarians.com. We are a podcast that brings you all of the irreverence that modern politics deserves by examining current events from a libertarian perspective. So please, check us out at wearelibertarians.com. Hey everyone, the Johnny Rocket Launchpad is Liberty. Each week we strive to bring you the best guests in talk radio. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad delivers weekly interviews of noteworthy politicians, experts, and activists. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad is bringing the party to the Libertarian Party and launching ideas in your direction. Check us out at johnnyrocketlaunchpad.com. You can hear me, Kurt Nelson, and the beautiful Heather Nixon talk about the ideas of liberty. Rock and roll. All right, and we're back. That was the League of Liberty. And, uh, of course, the League of Liberty, for those of you that are in the Lions of Liberty Pride, know that the first League of Liberty podcast was just published. It was published. What? I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it in any of my podcast feeds. That's right. You haven't seen it unless you are in either the Lions of Liberty Pride or if you're in the patron group for The Lava Flow or We Are Libertarians or Johnny Rocket Launchpad, you got to be in one of our bonus content groups and we've it's been provided out in the lions of liberty pride it's been provided you can join the lions of liberty pride by going to lionsofliberty.com slash support and you hear that bonus segment and much much more and of course that bonus segment included mark claire from uh from lions of liberty roger paxton from the lava flow chris spangle from we are libertarians and johnny adams from the johnny rocket launch pad it is an outstanding podcast so much fun to listen to check it out today go to lionsofliberty.com slash support to listen up all right we got a couple more is it a crimes here to get through next we're going out to california here to delray oaks a delray oaks city manager slapped with felony charges longtime delray oaks city manager daniel dawson will face criminal charges for allegedly abusing his power after buying the last open residential lot in the city of Monterey County. And District Attorney Dean Filippo is the uh, is the one prosecuting here. And actually, there's some, some penalties associated with this. They're accusing Dawson of being financially interested in a contract that he made in his official capacity and then for failing to report it on his economic interest as required by the Political Reform Act. And he, he failed, uh, Dawson failed to report this on his economic interest forms that he filed in 2015, 2016. He could spend, if convicted, he could spend a maximum of three and a half years in prison. So the question here is, and this guy served from August 2008 to January 3rd, 2017, when he resigned and he bought a, a lot. This all comes down to buying, it doesn't really make sense, buying the last open residential lot in the city. What what is what does that mean? I mean, I'm somebody who 
on the side, I buy and sell real estate. I buy and sell mostly vacant land. And the last residential lot, what, the last one owned by the city, I'm, that's not really clear because I'm sure there's other vacant lots, unless every other lot in the city has something built on it, which would be sort of ridiculous. That really never happens um, in uh, in any city. There's always open lots because some lots just aren't usable or, you know, people own them that they're just sort of... Uh, sort of waiting. They're investors and they're waiting for the right opportunity to either develop or to, to turn into a housing plan or something like that. But anyway, so he buys a lot and they're saying he used his position of power to buy this lot. So it's three years, three and a half years in jail. Too much of a punishment for this? Yes. I think any jail time is way too much of a pun punishment. I don't think this guy should serve any time. Um, if he did truly use his power to protect uh, his ability to buy this lot and shield competition and keep the price at a uh, lower rate than would have been on the open market, then yeah, it's it's a crime. That's a crime there. Um, that's not something that we want our leaders, our uh, our representatives in local government to be doing. That's, uh, that's a big no-no. So there is a crime there. Um, at the very least, he should have to resell the lot if it was the city that owned it, whoever owned it, have to give it back at the exact same price that he got it with interest and yeah, just, just resell the lot. I, I don't think there's much more uh, to come from this. Um, you know, there's enough shame. This guy's already resigned from his position. Um, you can attach a little, a little fine to it, which should be uh, interest of, of owning the lot to you know, back pay to the, uh, the previous owner. If it was the city, then that money just goes to the city. So yeah, I don't see any need to do anything else there. Um, so yeah, let's move on to the next one. And this, I, I, uh, <clears throat> this one comes from, from Iowa. I think I found this in the Jason Stapleton group, which is a, uh, a good group to be in. Not as good as the Lions of Liberty Forum on Facebook, but, but, but a pretty good group. And this is Iowa. A woman is taking a fight over a $75 automated speeding ticket to the Supreme Court. And of course, uh, this was one of those. Iowa actually is, I think, one of the only states where they actually have these automated speeding cameras on federal interstates. I don't think other states have that. Uh, I think I read that in the article. And this woman got a $75 speeding ticket. She's fighting it. The reason see, she, the reason that she says she's fighting it is because it's wrong. It said she was going 68 and 55. She says she was only going 55 and wasn't going over. So she's taking the fight to the, to the Supreme Court. And she's saying that um, the traffic system is unconstitutional and it wrongly flagged her. Um, it's And I have to agree. This is a, uh, I think the way this is set up being coming from a, uh, a state, a state, state operation, the state police, or even, even if it was local police who are maintaining surveillance over these roads or in many circumstances over, uh, they have red light cameras, things like that. I think in these instances, that is a violation of your Fourth Amendment right. However, however, if private citizens owned the roads, if there wasn't a, a tragedy of the commons, if it wasn't state-owned roads, if we actually had privately owned roads and private people actually maintained and built the roads, I would not have a problem with them using uh, means as these, be it automated cameras, drones, things like that, 
aircraft to uh, to track speed on their roads because they own the roads and it is their obligation. It's in their financial interest to keep the roads safe so they don't get sued. Um, so if they think a way of keeping the roads safe would be to keep people going below a certain speed based on studies, based on looking what other private road owners are doing, then sure, they're they're fine to do that. And, and the same thing could apply with uh, with uh, having a uh, alcohol uh, limit, with having a with having DUIs, with with flagging people for driving under the influence. Um, just because it's a privately owned road doesn't mean that stuff would go away. I think there could be roads. Of course, sure, there could be privately owned roads that would allow that. That would say that we don't care if you drink and drive. Go out there and. Go 90 miles per hour. Um, I don't know if I would drive on that road. I, I might. It, it, it depends. I mean, I, I, I don't know. We, we don't live in that society, so who the heck knows? All I'm saying is this stuff inherently is not is not bad. DUIs and traffic cameras and speeding tickets, stuff like this is not bad. It's the way that it's enforced that is the problem. They're enforced as uh, revenue generation. There is no consent um, this stuff is just uh, is, is forced on you. And a lot of the time, because it's done in that way, because the objective is to generate revenue and the objective is not to keep anybody safe, that it doesn't. And, you know, in this case, um, somebody pointed out in the comments of uh, this this article about this Iowa woman fighting the $75 speeding ticket, somebody pointed out that, you know, laws like this, they, most of the time, they're not going to do the best to get they're not going to get a reckless driver off the road. A uh, an automated camera, someone's driving 110 miles per hour, flags them, bam's got their license plate, tickets in the mail. Guess what? They still continue to drive 110 miles per hour, and they could have hit someone five six miles down the road. So you know maybe a, a road owned by a private citizen, maybe they wouldn't have these because they would prove not to be the best way of keeping the road safe. Maybe it would be. To have actual, uh, you know, security on the road that would would stop someone driving recklessly. So lots to think about. It's always interesting to think about what society uh, would be like, what a more free society would be like. You know, we're we're a long way from it, but uh, this show and all really all, all the shows on on the Lions of Liberty podcast are uh, all about talking about that, guys. You know, I, I was going to talk about one more post, and I think. I think I'll save that either for next week's episode or maybe for a, uh, a bonus episode to be announced, which would be in the Lions of Liberty Pride, of course, which you can join for as little as $5 a month by going to lionsofliberty.com slash support. We actually just had our $25 level uh, monthly conference call with uh, some of the members of that uh, of that group, of the of the Lions Guard. It was, it was a fun call. They always are... I always enjoy the calls, and I enjoy hearing hearing from uh, our listeners, hearing from uh, members of the Lions Pride directly. You know things they like, um, things that you know they think we're doing a good job with, things where they think we could do a little bit better, uh, maybe uh, steer ourselves in a little different direction. So it's it's great feedback, and you know I'm not just saying this because it's truth; it's a fact. And I, I wouldn't be saying this if it wasn't true. I just wouldn't say it at all, but. I got to say, the people in the Lions of Liberty Pride are some of the best people that I've met in the Liberty Movement. 
Um, great people, nice people, honest people, um, very civil when discussing uh, uh, libertarian matters, when discussing uh, policy. And I'm not just saying that to you know to toot our horn that you know hey, we have a great podcast and the best people like our podcast and join the pride. I, I don't know why they do, but I just think it's a uh, it, it's awesome. And I can say the same thing about the Lions of Liberty Forum. We don't have any problems in the Lions of Liberty Forum with people getting out of line and cursing people out and having to kick people out of the forum. It, it doesn't happen. So I don't know. I'm not sure what what really causes that. But if you're not a member of the forum, get yourself in there. And uh, unless you're going to be a jerk, then don't join. Yeah, we, we, I guess we don't want you. But uh, if you're going to be a good guy, if you're going to uh, or girl, if you're going to be a uh, good person, then please uh, join the forum. Would love to uh, love to talk with you. And guys, that's that's all I got for today. I uh, I'm exhausted. I've been talking for going on uh, 42 minutes, something like that. So I'm just gonna gonna leave it at that. Um, check out Donor C. Donor C, a great app, a uh, project funding app. There's a ton of great projects there. I'm not going to promote anyone specifically now. We've uh, supported a lot recently in the Houston area. Um, so there's there's a ton on there from all around the world. The great thing about Donor C is you get to see the project progress forward, actually happen, and actually have a positive impact in people's lives. So check that out. Download the app. That is all I got for today, guys. Thank you so much for listening. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning.